You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. You're listening to the Pull Box Podcast. The International Graphic Novel Book Club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Hello and welcome back to the Pullbox Podcast. Uh, this is episode number 42 and I am your host, Curtis Finley. I'm your other host, Michael Cohen. In the last episode, we talked about um, Superman in the book All-Star Superman and the theme was kind of what would Superman do if he found out he was going to die, uh, what what would he do with those remaining hours? Yeah. So carrying on with this that theme. Accidentally. <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> yeah, I just realized this as we were, we were recording the last episode that um, this book that we're talking about now called Ikigami also deals with that same topic. Yeah. You gotta say the full title. Ikigami, the, the ultimate, ultimate limit. limit. No, yeah. I, it's I don't so even... Japanese. It's so Japanese. Well, I don't know if that's if the that's actual, like the like actual full Japanese yeah, title, or if that's something they just uh, put on the cover I'm, of this I'm book. I'm sure it is because, like, that is such a Japanese thing to subtitle something. Because Ikigami: The Ultimate Limit sounds like a fighting. It does, book, right? Like, yeah, it draws like, you in because you think it's going to be a yeah. battle every chapter kind of. That is story not and... what this is. No, not at all. <laughs> Um, I mean, there is a battle in this book, but it's a not, bit, not yeah. what you think. <laughs> They're more It's more internal struggle than external struggle. Um, yeah, so what, what, what's the book about? Well, um, <clears throat> and Ikigami is a notice that you get when you uh, have only 24 hours to live. Okay. Um, so the, the, uh, the, the, I guess the mythology in this, of this book is that in this world... Everybody is when they are vaccinated, mm-hmm. gets a um, a little some sort of nanobot or something in, injected into you, and um, at some point, I guess they do random draws. When you hit, I guess it's just eighteen, right? It's just adults. Once not kids, once right? you're eighteen, uh, yeah, your you, name goes your in the pot. Goes in, yeah. And every month, um, a number of names are drawn, and those people. Um, get a notice that they have 24 hours to live and then the the little nanobot that was injected to them as a child is yeah. activated and they die. So it's it's a little bit of population control um, and it's also the government is trying to encourage people to live life to the fullest like to, yeah. to be the best person you can be because you know, don't know when your time is up. Uh, it could be at any time. Yeah, that's kind of their propaganda angle of it is that it 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 forces you to to live in the moment and to strive to do your best because you never know um, if you could be the next person to get an ikigami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it um, there, it focuses on one one particular guy who's yeah. new to the government organization, and it's going to be his job. To um, to hand deliver these ikigamis to people, um, and so he's learning about um, the process in which the, the the vaccines are distributed and and the, the selection process of the names. Um, 
learning about it for our sake as well. So he's basically the everyman character that we put mm-hmm. our, our our feet into. Like we we stand in his shoes in this story to learn about that and to 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 experience the other people. Now the other part of the, the this book is um it deals with the people who receive the ikigamis and that's where the real story is yeah so each of these volumes here contain two they call them episodes two episodes and they each deal with two different people who are going to receive an ikigami and how do they deal with it and i think that's going to be the setup for all of the subsequent volumes i think there's 10 or 11 of them um it'll deal with a different person in each episode and they'll have a different reaction to getting an ikigami so yeah. in the first story, this guy he um, his instant he has kind of a uh, uh, Yosuke. Yosuke is the is our first ikigami. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Sorry. His first reaction to getting an ikigami is revenge. That's the yeah. first thing that comes to his mind because he, as a child um, or as a teen growing up, was tormented. He was bullied quite a bit. He was physically abused by um, kids at his school, and and that has stayed with him. And has pretty much debilitated him, um, ruined his life. Like he is unable to hold down a job or anything like this because of his um, just the the baggage that he brings into into his life. And yeah. I think the 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 incident that incident that happened as a as a kid or as a teen was that um, he was pantsed in front of a bunch of girls. One of the girls took a picture of him with his pants down and texted it to the whole school or something like that. And so, and that, that really affected him. And then another time he got beat up and, and kids burned his head with uh, cigarettes to the point where his hair didn't grow back and he has to wear this hairpiece. So when he finds out that he only has 24 hours to live, now he realizes that his life has no consequence. He's not going to be held accountable for any of his actions. He can go and do whatever he wants. So he goes out for revenge he tracks down the people. Like he knows where they are because he's been keeping his eye on them. He he faces those his his attackers, and um, and one of the girls, the girl who took his picture, he, in fact he uh, he does the same thing to her. He strips her and ends up raping her, and takes her picture, and um, and and is going to. Um, yeah, he, when he, when he goes to send it to like to basically publicly humiliate her, he flips open his phone and realizes that he has no contacts in his phone to send it to. Yeah. So it's like this weird sort of I don't know if bittersweet is the right word. It's this weird like it's almost comical in the sense that it's like it's, it's definitely it's ironic pathetic and yeah, but like it's it the whole book Especially this first story has this weird tone to it of like, um, yeah, he tracks down the first girl, the first person is this girl and, and he goes to do this and it turns out that like his life is so pathetic that he can't even do that. Yeah. And then, uh, and then with the second one, the guy that, that was putting out the cigarettes on his head, um, that guy, I basically like tries to be like oh i'm sorry like we were just stupid kids and um it's almost like the he doesn't even remember that he did that yeah like he only like is like oh yeah we were really harsh on you like sorry man and but like obviously uh yosuke has been carrying this around with him it seriously traumatized him but these people who did it 
sort of like they did it and then they moved on with their lives and yeah. they have careers and families and that sort of thing. Um, but he's unable to do that. And, and so do you see like that, that's kind of, I think why you see him react the way that he does when he gets a Zikigami. Cause like, what does he have? He doesn't, his, his, his parents are going to, um, Basically, when this happens, when somebody gets an ikigami and then they lose it and they do something illegal, the the family doesn't get the... There's like a pension sort of thing that comes along with it, like a payout, in order to keep people happy, right? And you don't get it, and instead, like, you have to pay... You have to answer for your family child, members' yeah. crimes. Which I guess is hopefully a way to guilt the... the the person into not yeah, doing anything it's bad. Me- when they- it's meant to be a deterrent, but yeah. I think for Yosuke, because he feels like he has nothing, that he's like, I, he doesn't even care. He's yeah. just like, I'm going to do it. But but even in, in doing these terrible things, um, he, he never even gets the satisfaction that he wants because he goes to the second guy. The second guy barely even remembers it. And then is like, well, I'm a... I'm a... Was he's like a hairstylist or something? <laughs> and and the end of, of that encounter is that Yosuke basically ends up like cutting off his the two fingers that he would use to to use his yeah, scissors. Right. Uh he puts like a knife into his into his hand. Um so this so he won't be able to use scissors. And like and he <laughs> thinks that he's like and he he's has gotten crazy his, maniacal laughter. Yeah, his chance. perfect revenge. Um but yeah, I, but what ends up happening at the end of it, at the very end, is he encounters this kid who is from the beginning of the story that that is sort of like our portal into Yosuke's life. Um, is this kid? This kid at the beginning is stealing a CD or something like that from a from a convenience store that Yosuke works at, and Yosuke like chases him down and does he get it back? No, he doesn't. He doesn't like get him. Um, but he sees him at the end and basically says, like, whoever's making you do this, you have to stand up to them because, like, otherwise you'll basically grow up to be me. (laughs) And so, like I said, like, like, there's this really weird tone to it of, like, even though, even though Yosuke is obviously, like, too far gone and he does these horrible things at the end... This kid, who was de- going down the same path, he he stands up to his bullies, and so you see that like Yosuke actually ends up having this effect, this legacy, yeah, where where like he he's gonna he changes the course of this kid's life, right? Right. So, which does that mean that he he redeems himself in the end? Yeah. It. it but because it's not it's not a. Uh, it's definitely not a North American way of of standing up to bullies that no. they talk about here. No. It's like no, um, because it shows the kid he like raises a chair above his head in the middle of his classroom. Like that's yeah. how he deals with his bully. He's gonna beat yeah. the tar out of him. Yeah, and that's not. I mean, I guess this is a book for adults because it's obviously rated appropriately and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they don't have to get away with... Parental advisory explicit content. They don't have to get away with giving a positive message or whatever, but it's definitely not the the kind of message that uh, 
uh, we get in school. But it's got and and it it carries through in the second story as well. But there's kind of this like Twilight Zoney type um, feeling to it, like yeah. this Twilight Zone yeah, type vibe. T- Twilight Zone, where it's very much it's like the the wh- one of the most famous Twilight Zone stories. The the guy who he just w- he just wants to read. He just wants to be left alone so he can read a book or whatever, and he ends up locked away. Like, everybody's dead or something like that at the end of it. He's the only person left, and he's like, well, at least I've got my books to keep me company. (laughs) And then he drops his glasses, and his glasses shatter. And he's just surrounded by books, which is all he ever wanted, but he doesn't have his glasses, so he can't read them. Yeah. And that's, like, the end of the story. And it's, like, it's very similar... It's a very similar sort of thing where it's yeah. like, it, was that a happy ending? Well, no, it wasn't a happy ending, but it also wasn't like, it wasn't a bad ending. I, like, what what are we supposed to take away from this? But that's, um, it's very Japanese. It's yeah, a very I, Japanese way of telling perfect. a story. It's perfect. And it makes yeah. us, you know, kind of come to our own conclusions and such. Yeah. And it's, it's nice that they don't really, they don't spell everything it's out. It's introspective, right? Yeah. Like, like the, the... The purpose of the story is for self-reflection, which I don't, like, we don't get that a lot in Western storytelling because what we want are fairy tales, right? Yeah. And and Western fairy tales have a beginning, middle, and an end, and it's all wrapped up with a nice tidy bow by the end of it. Right. But, uh, but Japanese storytelling is not always, I don't want to paint it too broad of a brush, but... But one of sort of I think the 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 hallmarks of of some of the best Japanese storytelling is that it doesn't have a tidy ending. Like the ending is is a bit more like real life, where there are shades of gray and and it gets into so weird philosophical discussions. Yeah, well, and a lot of them deal with um, honor. Yeah, which sometimes honor is not at all following the same path that we would in the western world um and it's uh, so it comes to different conclusions yeah. than we are used to so yeah and, and it's interesting to just put that kind of culturally and, and see how that plays out yeah absolutely um and then so we haven't even talked really about the second story which is uh about uh two musicians two street musicians um their band is called where is it uh, Komatsuna, uh, and the two artists are, are Hidekazu, who is sort of like that he writes the music, um, and then, uh, his, uh, clearly much more handsome and outgoing, uh, musical partner, uh, Torio, who, uh, uh, is the one who sort of, you know, uh, has the... The charisma. Yeah, the charisma of the, of the two of them, but they're these two, like, really good... Uh, street performers and at the beginning of the story they're approached by an executive from a record label who wants to sign just Torio so uh, so Hidekazu is gonna is gonna be left behind Um, and uh, and basically the two of them have this huge falling out and uh, and 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 then we sort of join them a few years later, and uh, and and Hidekazu is the one who's getting the ikigami, 
or no, no sorry, no, Torio. Torio, sorry, Torio, Torio is, is is the one who's getting the Ikigami. So Torio, and he's made it as a musician. He's kind. Of, he 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 had his opportunity to have like a solo career. Um, and to be like the sort of singer songwriter that he wanted to be, but it, but he just didn't hit. Um, so they've paired him with this other guy who has more of like the look. So it's 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 somewhat ironic because Hidakazu says to him like, I he's, he says to him like, fine, go go do whatever, but it won't be long before you're over. And that's sort of their falling out. Yeah. And it it basically comes true. And then Torio ends up in Hidekazu's position in this new duo. Yeah. So uh-huh. it's sort of like this turnabout. And he kind of he kind of gets what he deserves in a, in a bit of a way. And because of it, feels remorse for yeah. how he treated Hidekazu. Yeah. Like leaving him behind and such. Yeah. And so when he gets his ikigami, he tries to think like what. What could we, what what can I do to make it up to like I I I didn't make it as a musician. I'm not famous. Um, what can I do? And then it turns out that they he's got this opportunity to play with his his partner with this T Bird guy on live radio. Yep. And he sort of resolves that he's gonna he's gonna do it. He's not gonna tell anybody. He's not gonna let anybody know uh, what's going on that that he's been given an ikigami. He kind of just keeps it to himself, and uh, but he's gonna go and he's gonna play on the radio and he's gonna like he's gonna play his heart out. Like he's gonna give the best the best performance ever um, of one of their old songs. Of one, yeah, and so it uh, well, and no, at first he's just gonna go do it right. And then when he's there, they're about to start, and that's when he decides, "I'm gonna, I'm like he's gonna play Beacon, and he plays." Oh Beacon yeah, and does he there. find that out because Hisakazu is in an a-, a car accident? Um, I don't know. I don't know if he figures that out. He doesn't know that. I don't think at, so. at one point, Hisakazu's um, in a car accident, and he's hospitalized, yeah. full body cast, like he's not doing well. And, it was like in a coma. Yeah, um, and like yeah, I can't remember if Tor- Torio knows about that. But anyway, so he uh, he goes on the radio and makes the decision to kind of go rogue and yeah. play the song that he's not supposed to because he's supposed to be promoting his own his own band. But he's yeah. he's kind of arranged it. Um, yeah, he, yeah, so he doesn't he send a buddy to... No, so, it, it, no, Hidekazu, he's got this guy, because Hidekazu drives around in a delivery truck with this other guy, and the other guy sort of gets it out of him that he was in a band with, with Torio, who's a member of the T-Birds, um, and he finds out that, that they're going to be on the radio, and this guy, his buddy, Hidekazu's buddy, the, his, his co-worker finds out at the last second and he's like oh i like i want hitakazu to listen to the radio so he brings in a radio to the to the hospital room and there's just this moment where he decides where torio decides that he's gonna play beacon yeah um because he's 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 about to die and he's reflecting on his past and he decides that his last moment's gonna be sort of this opportunity to make it up to to Hidekazu, so, um, so he plays Beacon, 
And that's the thing that brings Hidekazu out of the out of the coma. Yeah. And he just he doesn't just play Beacon. He plays it with so much emotion. Yeah. That it's like it's the best thing that anyone's ever heard. Yeah. And then he finishes the song and he immediately drops dead on the radio. Yeah. Like on live radio. And obviously like everybody knows why because it's an Ikigami. So but like it becomes like this this sensation Famous thing, yeah, yeah, because of because of the the circumstances and because of the song. So Torio dies, and then the the record executive guy, uh, or no, a different one, I think, a different guy comes to Hidekazu and says like, "Hey, so we want to." No, it's the same guy. It the same it's guy? the same guy. Because um, he mentions that he oh was yeah Toro. that's right yeah he then he comes back and goes goes to his who's on busking on the street yeah and of course what's his cousin gonna say but yeah so he says no right but he's got this huge crowd and so but like the most important thing is that he has his integrity so yeah so again like <laughs> not the American ending yeah right the Western ending would have been that you know Torio played so well. That Hidekazu gets signed and becomes an yeah. overnight sensation. Lives his and, lifelong dream. And yeah, yeah, and fulfills Torio's dream of being right. a, a solo artist. <laughs> and, like, that's the happy ending. But the Japanese yeah. ending is Hidekazu says no. Stays be- a street busker forever. Yeah, and, and uh, toils away in obscurity because that's the honorable thing to do. So it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, like, like I said before, it's like that Twilight Zone sort of... Um, not twist ending, but like, like just sort of like almost like deflating ending where you yeah. kind of, you build up to the climax and then the end of the story is just kind of like, and then it happened and, and you're like, but, but there's no like, like the, the, the prince and the princess <laughs> don't get married at the end and yeah. dance off into the clouds. Like I'm confused why this story didn't end. Um, but that's, uh, like we were talking about before, that's the very Japanese, uh, storytelling. So it's interesting to note that both of the stories deal with a person and their choices, yeah, uh, on what to do left, but it, it, the ending always deals, in both of them deals with, um, kind of their legacy afterwards or what they leave behind. So I'm going to try and check out the rest of these volumes. Because I'd like yeah. to see what the other stories are. Because are they all going to be unique, or or are they going to be twists on a theme, or yeah, well, like what kind of can they really sustain this sort of um, this sort of thing? Over yeah, and, again? and sort of throughout, there's this through line of um, of of oh, I forgot his name already. Fujimoto. Fujimoto, who is working for the government to deliver these ikigamis. And we're, we're use, they use him as, as our portal into this world and, like, to explain things like the technical aspects of, like, how can it stay uh, 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 anonymous and uh, sort of random and all that sort of thing. So, like, we learn all about it through him, but... He has misgivings about it. So I wonder if by the end of the series there isn't some sort of finality to that part of the overarching plot. Probably. Like um, he goes in and tries to disrupt the whole system or yeah, something. Yeah, or like, because like, if it were me, if I were the one writing this, if, yeah. if I were I, I figuring out how this series ends, 
my ending would be the last volume is Fujimoto gets his Ikigami. Ah. And uh-huh. then, like, what does... After he's sort of learned all of these lessons yeah. handing out Ikigamis to other people, what does he do with his last 24 hours? Yeah. And does he disrupt the system and free the world from this weird sort of dystopian... Even though, like, the rest of the world seems fine. Yeah. Um, but it's, like, they're kind of under the heel of this government. Totally. Right? Well, and it, yeah, it's a fear-based uh, yeah. paranoia and... Yeah, yeah, so, like, does, or does he, is he issued an Ikigami because he knows too much yeah, because and he, he steps finds out of line yeah, or whatever? Yeah, yeah, so, like, I, yeah, I'd be curious, I'd be curious. So, I, we read through them and then okay. report back. Okay, <laughs> I will. <laughs> cool. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really, really like this. And I, 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 I sometimes worry about uh, manga because I, you know, a lot of it, like a lot of comics, um, it, it, it's it has kind a stereotype, of, right? Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, but this is not your sort of stereotypical, uh, cartoony, right. glassy it, eyes wanna, and, uh, well, you know... I like to read a lot of manga and I don't, yeah. I don't pick the Bleach or Naruto type stories, yeah. though. Those ones don't interest me. It's, it's this kind of thing. And, like, I like, um, like Old Boy and, uh, and... Lone Wolf and Cod and, and that kind of stuff, where yeah. it deals more with with the human condition rather than yeah just battling every yeah, day. Absolutely, absolutely cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I manga is one of those things where I think like there's just so much of it, it's hard to sort of sort through and find the the diamonds in the rough. But well, here uh, we are bringing them to you right on the Pulp Box yeah, podcast. Yeah, and yeah, I, I there's another there's another book, another manga that I I. I've actually, for a long time, I've wanted to, to have us read it, but uh, maybe I'll save it for December when we have a little bit longer, because I want to read all three volumes, uh, and that's this, uh, it, it's a book called Densha Otoko, but okay. it's uh, it's sort of like a romantic comedy, but uh, it's it's three volumes, it's quite, it's a it's a bit of a lengthy read. And you have or have not read it already? I have already read them, okay. but I haven't read them in a long time, Yeah. And uh, but I really, really liked them, so. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so we'll kind of, if you guys out there, if you have uh, good manga that you'd like to, to recommend, definitely Knowing that us. we don't really want to read the Naruto's of the yeah. world. We we did Dragon Ball already, uh, and uh, you know, we I, th- I feel like that covers a lot of that shounen right. that kinda, genre, yeah. right? Yeah, the, I think the it does. Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Naruto, Bleach, One Piece, it's all yeah. kind of contained within that. But, uh, Although yeah. One Piece, there must be something special about One Piece because it's the it sells better than Dragon Ball. Yeah, it's supposed to be like the number one best selling manga of all. Time. I've never been able to get into it myself. I've never but, read it, so I can't. But say. Uh, yeah, well, cool. we'll we'll check it out. We'll check out something. Suggest us, suggest yeah. to us uh, something good. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, well, I think that's it for for this episode. Yeah, uh, we've got one more episode this month, and it's Chew. Chew, um, and we'll tune into that one. Um, Spoiler alert, we're not too thrilled with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it'll be a a different kind of uh, conversation for sure. Yeah. Uh, Cool. And uh, what what do we have on the docket for next month? Next month, we're declaring it uh, Darwin Cook Month. And um, because he recently passed away, and to pay tribute, we're going to spend a whole month talking about his body of work, which is incredible. Um, Awesome. And we've got three very different books uh, picked for that. Um, I am doing... uh, I'm choosing... 
Parker, which is his adaptation of the crime novels by Richard Stark. Uh, we'll do the first book called The Hunter. Um, yeah, hard-boiled crime crime drama. It'll, it'll cool. be great. Uh, my poll is uh, Superman Kryptonite, uh, which was originally released uh, in the, the pages of Superman Confidential. Um, and it's uh, it's illustrated by Tim Sale and written by Darwin Cook. Uh, and it's uh, it's sort of it's a bit of an origin story on kryptonite, but it's cool. Kind of, there's a bit of a twist in there. Nice. Um, it's a, it's a very cool story. Um, it delves into Superman and uh, sort of the idea of his one weakness. Um, and uh, it's it's one, it's <laughs> uh, I, there's an aspect of that in there. Um, uh, it's one of my favorite Superman stories of all time. And uh, it's it's one of those ones that I, I hold in high esteem. Cool. So uh, so yeah, it's, I'm um, looking forward to yeah, checking it out. It'll be fun to read that one. Um, and what do we have for our uh, for our third poll? Not not technically a reader poll this time, but uh, it is um, Darwin Cook taking on the spirit. He got the opportunity to uh, write and draw spirit comics for thirty issues or so, I think. So we're just going to take a look at the first volume of that series. Cool. Um, which, uh, yeah, so we have an adaptation of a prose novel. We have mm-hmm. Darwin Cook, Cook as a writer, not an illust- not illustrating. Yeah. And we also have him uh, redefining or bringing up into a modern era um, a classic comic work. So cool. three different books all by the same guy. And, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to that next month. Awesome. So that's next month. But uh, the next episode will be all about Chew. So uh, join us for that. Keep reading comics. For more Pullbox Podcast episodes, you can check out pullboxpodcast.com to submit a reader poll. Uh, you can email thepullboxpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at Twitter and on Instagram at pullboxpodcast. And you can follow me, Curtis, on Instagram at Curtis Bidley. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at arkwolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F. You can, you can also find all of our other great podcasts over at thunderquack.com, and uh, that's the home of the Thunderquack Podcast Network, of which we are proudly a part. And, uh, and if you want to help support all of our podcasts at Thunderquack, you can do that by heading to patreon.com slash thunderquack, and, uh, and, and you, can, you can pledge your support over there. Every dollar helps, but uh, if you're a Pullbox fan and supporter then you'd definitely be interested in the $20 level, which allows you to get all three episodes of the Pullbox podcast, all three of our books, as one super long episode uh, right at the beginning of the month, as opposed to having to wait for the individual episodes to be released. So you can find all that at patreon.com slash thunderquack and all of our other podcasts at thunderquack.com.